So, Painter, you tweeted Friday a link to the dunk of Jarrett Harper uh, in Maui, and it was like, <laughs> I think your tweet was like, any of y'all remember this? And it was like, apparently not. No. You didn't get a lot of love on that one. And sometimes you love. do. Uh, well, also, the love that I did get was at midnight, which I appreciate you late-nighters yeah. that were just scrolling Twitter and uh Thank you for the feedback, Bryce, in particular, giving me the love. You know, I've got a crippling need to be liked, and so Bryce filled that void. Well, here's me. the thing: you, you tweet some things sometimes that do get a lot of of, of engagement for you, and many times they get none at all. And this was a great example. Yeah, this of was that. a great example of it. Like, you're, hey, I'm hosting <laughs> trivia at the draft house. Does surprisingly well. Yeah. Uh, do people show up? You, well, you have you have I showed have. up yeah, on showed more up than one occasion. Times. Yeah, supporting but, me. But it, it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like uh, people who are hitting those likes and those retweets are necessarily coming through. Uh, yeah, you guys have been slacking. Also, the reason I was doing this, I went on a little nostalgia trip because mm-hmm. of your mailbag. Someone asked you, I don't remember who it was, maybe you do, asked, you know, favorite Auburn games, football, basketball. It was like then, the DVR, yeah, the DVR yeah, question yeah. wall, and, yeah. And it was a good question. And, like, the LSU game in 2020 is one that, like, in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a fun game. I remember where I was. But every now and again, my friend Alston and I will talk about that. And, like, he refers to Javon McCormick as, like, that's a legendary-type game for a player like Auburn. Like, that's all I want out of an Auburn player. Like, sure, you're not always going to get a national title, right? You're not always yeah. going to get But if you get a game that you're going to be remembered for forever. Yes, and, like, you know, I mean— For a dude who, who's not going to play in the NBA. Right. I think for him, that is the way he will remember Javon McCormick. That was such a phenomenal game. You Almost know. lost it like three times. Yeah, and McCormick, uh, there were there were some late heroics. I think he hit four threes in like the last minute and ten, or, or three in the last minute ten, and then another one clutching overtime. Of course, he had the floater that won it. Smith out, he had 26. Yeah, this is also the game that you may remember Auburn fans for. Devin Cambridge going 7 of 10 from deep. A casual 70%. Yeah, Auburn. Um, Auburn was down by Auburn was down by eleven, no twelve at the half. Came back and uh, had this run late to to pull it off, and then and then scraped it out in overtime. Yeah, Javon McCormick in that game, twenty three points, nine assists, nine rebounds. <laughs> Wildly efficient. Just one shot, fifty probably from the three. probably the smallest player on the floor. One of the smallest players on the floor. Nearly triple doubled in an overtime game. He only turned the ball over three times. That Austin, is the kind Austin of performance Wiley. where you never buy a drink again in Auburn. Austin Wiley in that game, six of eight from the free throw line, had 14 boards. You know what else was another game that was on drugs? was that Xavier game that I was referencing from yeah. the Jared Harper dunk. Like, Auburn controlled it a lot, but Xavier kept coming back. Mm-hmm. And then Auburn Another overtime did. game. Wow. I, I mean, Jared Harper is... I always refer to him as my height. He's probably like a shade taller, but, you know, yeah. point taken, I suppose. Absolutely uh, yammed on that person. Yeah, that was when I remember Xavier just ran out of gas. Auburn won that overtime, eleven to two. Shut him down. Sort of foreshadowing with that. Jared out. had twenty five. Bryce had twenty six in that game. Chuma thirteen and seven, uh, which was a good game for him early on. Uh, yeah, that was a that was a really interesting. This might be the funniest stat line I've ever seen. That game also coming off the bench. Austin Wiley eleven points, zero rebounds. But he had four blocks, which is weird. <laughs> he had a game where he didn't he didn't have a rebound, uh, which that I think is impossible. Was violent, huh? His drop step was violent. Well, my thing with my thing with Wiley is is that 
he was born a little too late oh, yeah. for the type Ten of player he is. He's st- I mean, he's a great Auburn player. Great, great Auburn basketball player. player. last season was really fun. Right. It's just he's in an era now where everybody wants your all one through five to be able to step out and shoot. And that's not his game necessarily. Well, he didn't grow up having to do that. And no. then suddenly it was like, well, you're playing the five. You need to be able to shoot. Well, his mom is, three. his mom is one of the best post players in sec history. And it's like, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to like about a game like that. It's just, you know, it doesn't translate quite as well because the NBA values different things now, as opposed to, you know, maybe what he had done. I mean, heck you could go like, go to the Lebo era. He would have been, all SEC type of player. Even the big men in the SEC right now that are re- really, really good, they're guys who stretch the floor. They're ga- they're guys who do a, a lot of different things. But man, he was a uh, yeah. I think if Wiley was born a few years earlier, we're talking about a completely different type of prospect. Um, Remember but, that uh, eighteen and seventeen game against Alabama? Mm-hmm. Talking about a good time to show up. Yeah, I seventeen mean, rebounds. Yeah, he had five blocks in that game too. Mm-hmm. That's so, a, that's another that's another big one for because I do think Miz. when we talk about Wiley, there's always this hint of like, oh, you know, he never quite lived up to expectation. And it's like, well, I suppose he didn't become an NBA player, and I know he was one of the first five stars Auburn ever bagged. But ah, uh, I don't think he ended up with five stars. Oh, was he a four star? I think he ended up being a high four. Let me look that up. Was Mustafa the first five star yes. in the modern era? Yes, Mustafa was the first five star Auburn had ever gotten. Wiley was, Wiley was, I mean, as close to a five as you can get. He was the number 35 player in the country coming out of high school. So a really, really high four star. Yeah, and then the other thing there is just like he had a whole year taken from him. Not only did he arrive, he was that midseason pickup. Yeah, came in, got to play in that Alabama game, I think, pretty early on. Right. Not only was he that, but he had a, him and Joe Purifoy had mm-hmm. a year taken from him. And both of those guys, I mean, we'll never get to see – how they could have finished their career because of COVID cutting the cutting the sh- cutting it short as they were heading into the SEC tournament, but I mean both of those guys, the resilience. I mean, Purifoy missed an entire year at the beginning of his career, and and had to miss another one because of and change of another one because of you know stuff that again I think even years after it happened. I mean, we, we've talked about this in the past with the Cam Newton stuff, like we talked with, with Alex. It's like, there's stuff in that that's like, no big deal now. And that was only a few years ago, you know? And it's just kind of like, oh, he got in, they got in trouble because one of their coaches funneled them to a money guy who also made suits. Like, it was just kind of like one of those weird, weird things. Very college sports story i think is or or how some way that alex phrased it is that yeah. is is your team not even really benefiting from the cheating yeah the only one really benefiting it is the kickbacks that you know chuck made out of out of the deal oops but yeah so i mean speaking of daniel Pierrefoy, i don't know what the efficiency numbers looked like and auburn got absolutely stomped in the game against purdue i know i've referenced this before but he went toe-to-toe with carson edwards mm-hmm Three or four, 32 minutes, three rebounds, 22 points, and that loss to Purdue, who was ranked at the time. This was before Auburn had its coming out party. And Carson Edwards, I think another short king. Mm-hmm. Two rebounds, two assists, 21 points. How about that? Look at you, Dan Joe Purifoy. Yeah. I guess I feel okay about the NCAA stuff at this point. Like, you never know what they're going to do or the direction they're going to go. Mm hmm. But I am starting to get the feeling that because the tides are changing, right. and look, Auburn is in a similar mold of like Ole Miss or Missouri that I think the NCAA would love to make an example out of them and just absolutely hit them hard with sanctions. 
But at this point, I'm starting to think, are they going to penalize Auburn half a decade later? They might. They might. But, but it I, seems I think it's, more I, and more likely as Will Wade continues to yeah. coach that it's going to be okay. I think there might be some some more coming, but it might just be like a slap on the wrist. Like we said before, I think what happened at South Carolina and what happened at Oklahoma State, you know, USC's also been in this as well. It's like, yeah, they're not going to drop the hammer. And, and for good reason because – once again, I mean, rules are rules, sure. And I know people out there have that opinion, but, like, it's also victimless crime. Rules are rules. What a awesome way to live your life, narcs. It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition. Justin Ferguson and Painter Sharpless right here. Hello, Painter. My chair's a little squeaky. I Mine apologize. is too, so I, I hope it doesn't come through too much. We're still trying to upgrade the upgrade the, the home studio. You do a better job of sitting still than I do. You know, I fidget. Yes. A yeah. lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, you also for we've been we were testing out the audio beforehand, and this is probably how it's gonna end up in the actual podcast. Like your your mic for some reason has just been golden today and mine's given given a lot of trouble. You so. don't think it's these delicious pipes? Yeah, it's that yeah. someone referred to as an organ recently. An organ, yeah. Yeah, I don't right. know if it was praise, but uh, do you remember what it was? I mean, a, I, I don't think you would call somebody's voice an organ and not say like it's not good. I think it had more to do with the volume. In the in this context, it was my email. Yeah, that might work. That might work. Yeah, I can. I. I. I yeah, that, that 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 makes sense. Um, but it's like the organ is like you know a lot of people like organ music, but then what Very if you expensive. what if you did like the organ like you know whenever they they bring in the vampire? Have you listened to the new Brockmire podcast? I have not. The Dan Levitzard and Friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I have not. Is it dove or or dived into that show? But apparently, don't you and Vitaly like that show? Yeah, I watched I watched the first few seasons of it when I still had IFC. I think yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And uh, Hank Azaria is like legitimately one of the funnier people on planet Earth. He had Barkley on as his first guest, which good get. All right, we've got quite a few things to discuss today, um, mostly related to the football transfer portal. Let's let's start with the news that came out on Friday. Auburn has picked up another transfer after landing uh, Tony Fair earlier in the week. They have picked up by Darius Knighton, uh, who is a defensive back from uh, Southeast Missouri State in the FCS level, uh, originally from uh, Tunica, Mississippi. So a guy with semi-local-ish type of ties, regional ties, uh, at least coming a little bit closer to a little bit closer to home. Um, coming in for Auburn and interesting pickup here. He's very much like Tony Fair in the fact that he has played his four years. He's getting a free year from COVID and he's going to use it um, trying to, again, like Fair, get on a bigger stage, get on a bigger platform and uh, find a way to get drafted. And this guy, I think, looking at his, at his numbers, you know, as a his first real year that he was as a starter, uh, he was a All OVC pick, uh, got some honorable honorable mention for All American honors. Just super super productive guy. Junior year same thing, all, you know All OVC again. Last year, this past season, Simo uh, did not play in the spring season like all the other FCS teams. They played a they played a brief, a brief fall season. 
Um, so they weren't in line with all the, you know, all the other stuff. Um, so he didn't get kind of the same type of honors, but he had an even better season, highly productive guy. Uh, and, uh, you're getting one of the better transfers from the FCS level in this class. This is a guy, uh, who had, uh, you know, offers from a lot of different places. I think some people might look at him and be like, oh, it's Southeast Missouri State. It's the FCS. How good could he actually be? Um, when he hit the portal, uh, you know, there were a lot of people, you know, coming after him. Um, let me see. I'm going to pull it up here. Uh, he also had offers from Kansas State, Louisville, Mississippi State, Purdue, Utah, and others. That's from that's from uh, Keith Neighbor at 247. He is he is a uh, a really good pickup who is like fair in the in the fact that you're getting a guy who's going to help you he's going to help you at a position of need safety nickel depth right away and he's only around for one year so you bring him in to replace some guys you might have lost but you're not necessarily like think about him as a guy who could replace what you lost in Chris Thompson and you're not necessarily running into a problem or maybe Christian Tutt or somebody like that. You're not necessarily running into a problem where, okay, you're, you're you know, infringing on what you can do developmental-wise with some of your younger guys moving forward. This is a, this is a one-year rental, uh, for lack of a better term. One of the things I'm curious about, because it's been discussed especially by you, but definitely others on the beat, that magic number that Auburn's sitting at, and I mm-hmm. wonder... What I mean, we were sort of thinking it's around three or four. Yeah, it's obviously likely. more than that. But that's that's where I'm going with this. It's like, all right, well, you still think Kaufman's on the table. TJ Finley is another piece that's curious. Like, where does he fit in? I think that's exciting for a number of reasons. So, to by the me, way, it seems like Auburn might have a little bit more room than we. By the way, Donovan thought. Kaufman picks Wednesday. He announced that on Saturday that he would he would pick on Wednesday. So we will uh, we'll keep you updated on that front as well in the midweek podcast. And, and, and we'll talk about Kaufman here in a moment, but yeah, Knighton, it's they obviously have room and they want to replace their depth. And, and this is the interesting thing: like by Darius Knighton as a player, we go ahead and run it out as a player, highly, highly productive, ton of tackles. I think in his you know four year career as a starter at SEMO, I mean he had it was like two hundred and fifty something tackles, um, a lot of pass breakups, was one of the top in his conference and in getting interceptions. Looking it up, he does not he he doesn't have a sack. I don't think he has very many pass pressures, so they didn't blitz him a lot. But you go in and you know I'm gonna have a story about this on Monday. The newsletter on Monday is gonna be a lot about him. They he played a little bit of everything. He is a nickel. He is a box safety. He is a free safety. Yeah, you know, they they moved him around and did a lot of stuff. And this is what we have heard that Derek Mason wants in his defensive back, specifically his safeties guys that can kind of float around and move around because before the snap, he wants the offense to start thinking a little bit. All right, is this guy coming? Is that guy coming? What coverage is coming here? I might be showing this, but, you know, doing something else. There's going to be a lot of mixing and matching. And when, so when you lose a guy like Chris Thompson and you lose a guy like Christian Tutt and you lose a guy, you know, even though he was, he was his career had expired in terms of, you know, he played four years, didn't come back for next one, in Jordan Peters, you need to kind of reload a little bit, especially at safety. Corners, they're set. You know, we, we talked about that when, when Kamal hadn't left. Cornerback, they've got so much depth there. But safety, and I say it every time we, we talk about this. Got you, talent, not depth. But got that talent, not looks depth. Like it's about to change if they get Kaufman. And, and you and you had, you I mean, you had to rely on Trey Elston, you know. In, in, in Which we practice. all like the walk-on story. Absolutely. But let's be especially honest. A, when especially you get a local into, kid, especially an Auburn high kid. When you get into the meat of SEC yeah. play as a fan, you are going – 
I hope that he's not logging significant and minutes. And look, Amari Harvey, Amari Harvey might be ready to go. Some of these guys that they're bringing in, uh, there's three, like A.D. Diamond, Caden Bridges, um, you know, those guys are coming in this summer, and they could play safety. But I think Auburn's wanting to get these guys in and have some experience and, you know, not necessarily have to – I think it's the same thing with, like, Tony Fair. You bring in a dude like Tony Fair so you don't have to feel like you have to force – Lee Hunter into a role a little too early, or you can be a little bit more versatile with him. And I think and, and try to figure things out, not kind of you know shoehorn him into a into a certain spot. And I think this is the same thing you're getting out of by Darius Knighton. Um, good size, six feet, uh, two hundred pounds. Like I said, played 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 safety and nickel. Played both safety spots. Played the nickel at, at Southeast Missouri State. Um, a guy that uh, you know. He on film he looks very um, he looks he looks very agile. Uh, he's a he's a guy that's got good good range, uh, a really good tackler. Um, you know, rarely misses misses his his, his spots, and uh, just a solid productive player at the FCS level. Now you're bringing him in to the SEC level. We'll see what it's like. I mean, it's going to be a jump up in competition, like we talked about with Tony Fair. Um, he, you know, Southeast Missouri State hadn't played a ton of, you know, Power Five teams during his time there, but I mean, he's played four years and has been a starter for four years at the college level. He has seen a lot, and that experience I think is going to translate. It's going to translate, kind of like when we talk about basketball guys. When a guy like Wendell Green, or especially a guy like Zeb Jasper, comes in, you're coming in from a from a smaller classification, but we have seen that just experience translates. It does translate. You might not be a superstar after it, but it, it works. That's where I'm at. I think the fair news and now this news as a fan make you go, all right, neither of these players are going to be world-class superstars. But fair, at least, as you mentioned the other day, has a chance at sniffing the NFL. And Knighton, you get somebody who immediately adds depth to a group that was very thin and suddenly... And and by by the way, do you think... Where do you think he ends up logging most of his snaps? Because like you said, he can do a little of both. He's got the versatility Mason seems to be in love with. I think yeah, I think he's I think he's a safety because they need depth at safety, and I think he's a nickel option because like here's the thing at nickel right now, if you bring Ladarius Tennyson back over there, you know is that where he's going to be long term? Um, what about a guy like Nehemiah Pritchett? I think it's going to be a lot of mixing and matching, so I see more of him as a safety because you have a couple of established nickel options. By the way, I was wrong. I I, I me not being able to read, I guess. Southeast Missouri State did play in the spring. Um, he just entered the portal here here recently. So um, my my apologies there. My God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, everyone's going to cancel their subscriptions now because of this. Um, no, but I think I think safety I think safety is the spot for him just because he has some has some versatility there. But look, they're going in for a guy like Donovan Kaufman, who is the exact same exact same type of player. Um, Safety nickel hybrid, uh, kind of already has familiarity. I think Knighton has familiarity with the type of defense that Derek Mason wants to run. We know Donovan Kaufman has played in the defense that that uh, Derek Mason wants to run, and that's important. Um, you know, some people have asked, does does what does landing did landing uh, Knighton move you out of? Kaufman's position essentially, and I don't take, think so. take him out of the running. And I don't think it. so. I don't think so. Now it wouldn't surprise me if if Kaufman picked Texas next Wednesday because I mean it's it's Suddenly been down that, between that those position two. that was thin is a little bit more crowded. 
But I don't think I don't think Knighton takes him out of it because remember Knighton is a one year guy. This is a guy who's trying to get to the league. And one of the upsides of Kaufman getting a little closer to home. And yeah, Knighton, you could get multiple years out of Kaufman. Knighton's only played two games. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't think it runs into that. I think it's it's an interesting. Are you surprised if Kaufman doesn't start if he does transfer here? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like who like plays we that know safety? Monday is going to be there. Yeah, like. You know, is it? You know, I would think Kaufman would, but like Zion Puckett is is in the mix. Uh, we just talked about Ladarius Tennyson, and he looked good at safety and nickel. Like, what they're going to do is, I think, what Auburn's trying to set up right now is that when they get into this season, they're going to want to be able to go nine, ten guys in that secondary. They'd be like, we can mix and match, we can do whatever we want, and we're going to be fine. Um, and I think that's they, they're wanting to establish quality depth. And here's the interesting here's the interesting thing about all this. I think there's a I think there's a belief out there when you look at they're getting who they're getting in the portal. They're getting a UAB guy, got a Southeast Missouri State guy. They have gotten a guy from Northwestern who did beat you in the bowl game, but um gotten a guy from West Virginia as well. And are you, you know, hearing something few, of the like tune of like, oh, he's he's going after the same kind of players he had at Boise, right? And not not the big heavy hitters, right? And Vanderbilt, and you know, and again, like I can they've understand been attached that, to a Central Michigan running I can back. Understand, understand that line of logic, but you also have to remember what we've said, which is that you can't put people in the portal. You have no. to go after who is who's in it. Well, and. And I think I think the ultimate test of Brian Harson and the staff recruiting wise, we won't feel the effects to it two or three years from now, right? Right now, he's inheriting a roster that's been built on top fifteen classes for the most part, but has some pretty major holes mm-hmm. at a position or two. So, in my opinion, just eyeballing in the perspective, I think what you're doing here, if you're Brian Harson and the staff, that seems to be the strategy. And you know, jump in if you think this is crazy. What I think they're doing at the moment is that they are going into the portal. They are finding depth needs that they have. And Kaufman's a little bit of a different pe- player. Ekuliota is going to be a little bit of a different player. But you're getting these veteran dudes to step in and play, and they're mostly rentals. Yeah, Fair and Knighton as great examples. Mm. You're going to get you, them for a year. You bring them in. Uh, Dreshawn Miller's probably not going to be here for, right. for much longer than a year if two. Um, you bring those guys in, and it seems to me that like Auburn, you know, they wanted to fill in with depth, but they could have just sat back and said, okay, year one, let's let the young kids play. Let's see what we've got in some of these younger guys and, and let them go from there. To me, what they're doing is they're going out and filling their depth. The, the, the 30, 35, 40 or so guys are going to be contributors on this team this year, and they're adding spots that they lost due to the coaching change, due to, the, due to everything that happened you know, in the Gus Malzahn to Brian Harson transition. And they're getting guys that are going to be here for right now, instant impact type of players, win down type of players in the portal. And, and they're not necessarily, and I guess Kaufman, Kaufman is the exception to this rule because he, he does have that relationship with Derek Mason and he does have a few years left of the eligibility. But they're getting guys who want to take this step up and go to the NFL. And it's like, Instead of resting on, not even resting on your orders, but like instead of just saying, okay, let's see what we've got and we're going to do the gradual build, you bring in these guys right now and try to be better now, even though they're only going to be around for a year or two. And I think it's a, th- a way to establish yourself so that 
you're trying to raise your ceiling. You're trying to raise your ceiling to the point where you're going to be a better team in year one so that you get some momentum to use on the recruiting trail, right? You could play the young kids, you know, and be six or seven win team. But if you bring some of these guys in from these smaller classifications who are in instant impact, let's get ready to roll now. I'm trying to get to the NFL mode. You're going to try to raise your ceiling some and try to use that as ammunition to the, you know, to, for the future. Because people are asking, like, what are they going to do in recruiting? I had, that, had that question in the mailbag this week about the blue chip ratio. And it's like, they're taking a lot of three stars, or they've heard a lot of three stars. Oh, these are smaller school guys. And people get wary of it because... Which I don't think is totally unreasonable. No, not actually. at all. I understand that. Because recruiting is the lifeblood of, of, of college football, right? And, and Alabama's doing what Alabama's doing, and Georgia's doing what they're doing, and they A&M and so LSU and Florida. Ahead of everybody. Right, exactly. And so it's like you don't want to get to the spot where Auburn drops off in recruiting because, you know, even if the Brian Harsons they staff, may be they may be amazing developers. But even still, you gotta have you gotta have the big guns to get into the dance. Like as the as the blue chip ratio states, this is the amount like you have to bring in more blue chips than non blue chips in order to compete for a championship. That is the baseline minimum that you have to have in recruiting in college football. And so, um, all that to say, I think when you look at their recruiting in the future, what is going to be the biggest weapon that Brian Harson and this staff have in the future? If they win. If they win, you hit the recruiting. People are going to want to come, right? Early on, you're having to establish stuff like, this is what Auburn is. This is who we are. you know. And there's a lot of coaches. You've got coaches from smaller schools and smaller conferences to come in if they win, recruiting will take off. We know that. And so, to me, it seems like when they get these transfers and they get these one-year guys right now to try to make their team better at the moment, not necessarily, you know, the the kid who's a five-star wide receiver from Notre Dame hit the portal, and he ends up going to UC. I think he's at UCF now, uh, oddly enough. Um, you know, could have gone after guys like that, and I'm, I'm sure there's cer- certain guys they could have done. But, like, I think getting more of these veterans – is a sign that says, hey, we want to win right away and get this thing kick-started, right? That even though we've talked about your expectations shouldn't be super high in year one or year two. And that this was a hire that was made for the long haul. You're hoping, right. I mean, this would be true with any hire, but you're certainly hoping that Harson is someone that 10 years from now is still here. I understand Auburn is a hard team to predict, another thing that yeah. you've discussed in the mailbag, but it's like, uh, don't expect him to win more than eight games this year. If he yeah. does, yeah, in it's great fantastic spot. if they do. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's the thing is that when you but they're br- not being conservative here. when you bring in when you bring in one year guys in your first year, to me that sign that signals hey we're trying to we're trying to establish something new and we're going to try to win right off. the And again, bat. I understand the fan win reaction. bigger right off the bat. I should say I understand the reaction of going okay fair UAB a guy from SEMO. You know, what's what's going on here? Is he trying to recruit the way he did in Idaho? Like, that's not going to work. But I don't think they're being conservative. No. Even though I can understand how you might come to that conclusion. The high school, or the doing high, the thing that they've done. The, the high school recruiting. 2022, they're going to have to have a better class than they had in 2021. I think everybody can tell that. But it's like, yeah, are you going to be closer into blue chip ratio territory? Are you going to be able to bring in four and five stars with this staff? I don't know. And I stand by my point that I've made, you know, to an annoying degree, which is that be even though it's not a given, 
I do think Auburn, with its resources, fan base, history, ought to be in the top ten in recruiting most years. More mm-hmm. years than not. I know maybe you disagree with that. Maybe you think that's setting the bar too high. But my thought Around is there, yeah. They should. I've always, I've always thought like the top 12-ish. twelve or thirteen, yeah. But I, I don't think it's unreasonable for them to consistently be eight, nine, or ten. No. But again, that also puts you at like fifth in your own league. Right. And the day, well, not the day, but a couple of days after Brian Harson got hired, I wrote the story where it's like. Ultimately, I think what Auburn's trying to do here is hoping that Brian Harson is their version of Urban Meyer, where you bring a dude in who was who's not from here, who's at a small who at smaller schools, who's won big at smaller schools, but you bring him in, give him SEC resources, give him SEC talent, and say, "All right, go to work." And of course, Urban Meyer, it definitely worked at Florida, uh, and they were able to win big. I think that's what you're trying to do now. That is a harder. That is harder to sell to a fan base because there's a lot of ifs about it. There's a like like. That is obviously the best case scenario, right? You don't want to you don't want to relitigate the hire of Brian Harson again, but I mean, well, we'll be doing it, yeah, certainly. You could have gotten a guy, and I'm not saying these guys are. I mean, we we know that Mario Cristobal. There was that. I mean, there's some obvious reasons to like Cristobal, and like I think right. I think we know he's going to land back in the SEC. At and some there point. were reasons, and there were reasons, you know, to go after Billy Napier. Right, and Billy Napier is holding off for something. I don't know what that job is, but Billy Napier is obviously holding on for something. He wants a certain job, and we'll see what it ends up being. You could have gone after guys like that who at least were recruiters around here, and you know have been head coaches. Uh, you know, smaller schools, uh, different conferences, but if but have bigger roots, especially recruiting wise in the southeast. You could have. And I don't know. This probably wouldn't have been able. You wouldn't have been able to pull it off. You could have gone after a Lane Kiffin. You could have gone after one of those kind of guys. And that's a little bit easier to sell. It's like, okay, well, they've done it at the SEC level. They've done it in the Southeast. Here you go. It, it works. The Harson hire is tougher to sell to the fan base. You know, early on because it's like, all right, what's it going to do in the SEC? You know, Knighton commits. Friday, and one of the questions somebody has on Twitter is like, "Well, can he can he cover SEC receivers?" Man, I don't know. They don't know yet either. Well, also, I think someone else pointed out, like, there are certain teams. Your biggest rival last year, no one could do that. It really didn't matter, you know. I mean, like, <laughs> right. hopefully Auburn will not be dealing with that. But also, like, the talent's still there. We just don't know as much about that receiver core, but. Uh, I, I, I think Auburn's had pretty good defensive back rooms in the last few years, yeah. as evidenced by the win in 2019, where they shut down basically the top three receivers for Alabama, and Jalen Waddle still like, had a career just said, day. Just said, Jalen Waddle, you're going to be the only guy who does it. Like, yeah, Jerry Judy had – everybody thought Jerry Judy was the best receiver just on the team. going to run wild. Yeah. And Auburn did – I think Noah did a great job of right. slowing him down. And Devontae Smith didn't have a big game in that one as well, and Devontae Smith a year later wins the Heisman. So so yeah. annoying. I mean, what a, like seems like a good dude or whatever. I, I don't really know. I don't know why I said that, but neither here nor there. Like it's so annoying that they the first team to have a wide receiver win it since what the '90s, and it's of course that team. Yeah, it's the team that we have doesn't to, win. ESPN's going to bring that fact up on the ticker. Do for you the next remember? Three decades. Do, do you remember? I mean, I remember this growing up. Like it was around when Cam won the Heisman, and then before they had before they had their little run where they started getting some more Heisman winners. But it was like early on in the saving era, like I would hear Alabama fans be like, 
They're like, well, you know, Auburn's got three Heisman winners. It's like Alabama doesn't have that many. And it's like, well, you know, Alabama, here we – it's, you know. It's, we're all about championships at this all, school. But it's also like – yeah, it was also like it's all about – it's all about the team. You know, we we're, we care more about team awards. And it's like That's their version of the family. And then there and then it's funny because their head coach who was the team, the process, the, you know, my way, you know, do everything right and, you know, our team's going to get the biggest success, which it worked. He ends up becoming radicalized by Lane Kiffin and is just like, no, we've got to go do this. And it's like, if I have to build an offense that gets a wide receiver to win the Heisman, so be it. Let's 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 roll. And like it's funny to see how much that's kind of shifted. It's also amazing that they've had three Heisman winners in, what, a decade? Yeah. They had Henry, and then who they just had Smith. Who am I forgetting? Ingram, I guess, mm-hmm. right? I'm not sure Ingram deserved it, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, well. What are you going to do? You know, if you play for the best team and you put up good numbers. Also, Mark Ingram ended up having a pretty good it's yeah, had a pretty no, good I mean, NFL career. I, it's interesting that, what, both years – was it Gerhardt, whatever his name was? Both Stan, Stanford running backs that Alabama players wanted over. Yeah, and uh, and and McCaffrey. Yeah, McCaffrey certainly was an electric player. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Well, Congratulations funny. to them on not being a, a team minded program. It's also funny. It's also funny to me that like one of the arguments that was made for the against those Stanford guys, it's like that they don't play in the SEC. Well, no, it was the it was like you know Heisman voters aren't watching late at night when the Pac twelve plays. I'm like, what? Are we adding like USC didn't have Heisman winners during their dominant run? Reggie Bush was, was pretty good. It was just like y'all y'all didn't think that they were the competition was good enough or whatever whatever reason. But it was like people now nine million people vote for the Heisman now, and it's crazy how many people get votes. But you get a vote. You get a vote. I don't. But uh, I get a vote. Uh, I do not. Yeah, always, which is a good thing. <laughs> it's uh it. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like I think people who know college football and are paying attention to it, like they're like. I hope you're not going to bed before all the Pac-12 games are done. People, yeah, people on Saturdays, real job. Yeah, people on Saturdays in the media, like you know, it'll be the thing that we have, and I'm kind of looking forward to this again a little bit more. You come back, say Auburn plays a two thirty game, or Auburn plays a day game, or whatever, even even a night game sometimes, and. You come back from the press box at a home game, and you get you go get settle in, and you're, you know, back at back at your place and like starting to work again. One of the best things you can do is just turn on the TV and whatever game is on. I mean, how many how many media people have you seen over the years? Um, you know, tweet at one or two in the morning on a Saturday or you know Sunday morning, I would guess, late Saturday night about the Hawaii game. Just because it was the last thing on, and you were going to stay up and work until it didn't have it on in the background. So it's like I, I don't people. Everybody knew how good Christian McCaffrey was coming out of coming out of. Uh, and I Stanford. suppose if you didn't, could you read? Like just look at the stats. Uh, you know, it's not it's not hard to uh, surmise anyone putting up that number of all-purpose yards is obviously talented. Absolutely, I'm with you. I would tend to agree that the. Uh, I would hope that the reporters covering college football are, are largely up for those games, given that it. I mean, I know you log some late nights and all, but mm. it's like the one night a week where like you're really on the nose to the grindstone. Well, if yeah, you will. I mean that's why I've I mean I've been a I've always liked Hawaii football, um, but like yeah, that's another part of it is like because they were the t- game on the latest and you would watch it. By the way, R.I.P. to Colt Brennan. Uh, pretty sad, pretty sad story, but like legitimately one of the best college football legends. You know, g- guy who might not have been an NFL superstar. Didn't have much of a shot, um, but yeah, one of one of the best in that in that era. So that was a that was a pretty it was a pretty sad story. But uh, 
yeah, I, uh, one one of truly one of the best, one of the best. All right, Painter. Before we flip over to our next segment here, our next discussion point, uh, let everybody at home know how they can support what we've got going on here. Rate, review, subscribe, ladies and gentlemen. That helps us tremendously. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell anyone you know that will listen. Pester them. We'll punish you. We'll make you listen to us. But thank you for your support. Yep. And you can subscribe to the Auburn Observer. Get uh, all of our stories that we do. And uh, the bonus podcast once a week uh, that we do on Wednesdays, Thursdays sometimes, uh, or midweek podcast. If you want twice as much podcast and you're not a subscriber, get on board. $6 a month or $60 a year. Sign up at auburnobserver.com. Go through all that, and we email all of it, every podcast, every story, straight into your inbox. Uh, and remember, the rating and the reviewing and the subscribing, uh, if you give us a five-star review on um, Apple, it helps us a lot. Help us climb those boards. Help us climb the rankings. Uh, so we appreciate you guys that do that, and remember, you have to say nice things about Painter if you give a review. All right, moving on. The transfer portal continues to swirl. We talked about Donovan Kaufman and how we think that Knighton is not necessarily putting you know a sign of anything with Kaufman. I think Auburn's still in a solid spot for him. The new one that got picked up this week, um, an exciting one, an a interesting weird one, one too. a very interesting one. Because I remember writing last Monday, it was like, yeah, they could probably go after a, you know, they probably could go after a, a quarterback now that they lost Shia Garnett. Um, but you know. Uh, it's not necessarily the biggest of pressing all the, of all the needs you feel like you but have. This was also when we were operating in the mindset. They're like, Oh yeah, they only have like three or four spots. It's like, well, obviously they have more, they have a little that. more wiggle room than we might've imagined. And so we, we, we find out this week through the reporting of folks like Keith Niebuhr at two, four, seven, who I'm going to, who's my go-to guy for recruiting him and him and Jason Caldwell, uh, read those guys, subscribe to those guys, support those guys. Um, Auburn is in the running for LSU quarterback TJ Finley, who entered the transfer portal earlier this month. The guy wants to play right now, today. TJ Finley, you may remember him from the LSU game last year. Objectively the best game for Auburn fans all year. Exactly. And not a great game for TJ Finley. Um... TJ Finley played six games last season as a true freshman at LSU. Uh, went two and three in that stretch. He was 80 of 140 passing, uh, 941 yards. He had five touchdowns and five interceptions. He was a true freshman, like we said. He has multiple years of eligibility you bring in. This is a 2020 guy, much like Shale Garnett. This is a way, kind of like we were talking about, Donovan Kaufman could be your replacement for Chris Thompson in same class, bring him in. He's got some SEC experience. Chow Garnett hadn't seen the field yet. Well, now you could replace him with a dude in TJ Finley who has SEC experience. Same thing with, with, uh, with Donovan Kaufman. This is another one of those types of players. Now TJ Finley coming out of high school, three-star quarterback from Texas. Had to get thrown in the fire early because of the situations that were going on injuries and stuff, stuff with LSU in the 2020 season at quarterback. But Auburn's in the mix. Auburn, Penn State, Texas seem to be... Look at Auburn and Texas going head-to-head again. Seem to be in the mix there. That was from Cole Kubelik. Um, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi State, Ohio State, Penn State, or uh, I've said Penn State twice now. Ohio State, also, also ones that he, have, he has been mentioned with him as well. 
he's a guy that people want to get, want to go get. Um, Finley was a three-star quarterback, but if you look at him coming out of high school, coming out of high school, he had all offers from Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, um, North Carolina, Ole Miss, Oregon. This is a dude that, you know, wasn't the elite 11 type of quarterback, but somebody who went, and, and, and you can see why. The dude is 6'6", 250. He the man is Cam Newton He looks size. a part of what a pro-style quarterback like Bobo and Harson would want, certainly. Yeah. And in my mind, mm-hmm. T.J. Finley. He's from Louisiana. Sorry, I thought he was from Texas. T.J. Finley probably disagrees with this based on the way he's been talking because it seems like my man is ready to start today. But I, I would be, and no disrespect to Grant Loy, I would feel a little bit better mm-hmm. if he's your backup. Now, again, just like I think some of these other players that Auburn is adding, we'll have to see what he blossoms into. I'm not going to predict, like I so boldly did with Bo Nix, that Finley's going to become a superstar. But there's, I think, obvious reasons to go, okay, that's someone that in a pinch can probably provide you a little bit more uh, opportunity for success, especially say in the meat of SEC play. This is via uh, this is via two four seven uh, with a uh, Keith Neighbor interviewed him as we mentioned earlier, uh, trying to wrap up his transfer process in quote probably two weeks. Uh, here is the story: Auburn has been one of the many teams involved in recruiting Finley both out of high school and again following his decision into the portal. And new head coach Brian Hartson and his staff have been in talks with Finley quote every day over the past week. Auburn returns junior quarterback Bo Nix as the team starter, but Finley said the message of competition has been made clear. Quote, there is an opportunity there, Finley said. A lot of people in the organization there, since the new staff got there, believe I can come in and compete for the starting job. It ain't like I'm going in there to be a backup. Which this is an interesting move also because we talked about that Harson and company really made no bones about Nix being the starter. Yes, and I think that's still going to be the end result here, even right. if Auburn gets Finley. But what I think is also interesting here is that they are willing to add some competition to that, that, that race. That's my question. Is like when I, I remember when, you know, a couple, like uh, might have been in January sometime, a couple, a few weeks into the the Harson era, uh, Dennis Dodd at CBS Sports did an interview with him. He sat down to the story, and one of the things they said in the in the story was is like. Oh, we have all these quarterbacks. Well, you look up; they don't have those quarterbacks anymore. Um, Garnett's gone. Uh, uh, Cordsamberg's gone. Like they—they they are the cord horde. They're—they're they're coming down to like they only have three scholarship guys. Grant Loy's done after this year. Bo Nix is eligible to enter the draft after this season at any moment. Demetrius Davis. I'm going to be curious to see if Davis is still here in a year because, like, obviously he's perhaps. You know, a very super exciting. He signed prospect. without knowing who the head coach. That is I be. think is the, yeah. the part that gives me pause about whether or not he'll transfer. But who knows what he'll do? I'm just saying, if he should leave in a year, I could go. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not what he initially thought when he began his recruitment process. Even though, yes, he did stick it out. To, to me, the TJ Finley move is has is is twofold. One, you want to push Bo Nix, and what happens this season, 2021, if something happens to Bo Nix, whether he gets hurt or he is like has a big drop off. Yeah, and your and options are true freshman who seems to have a lot of upside, but let's be honest, that's a brutal place to throw mm-hmm. a, a true freshman into that situation. And then Loy, who I think a lot of Auburn fans appreciate that he came back, but it's like, I also hope that you are not the starter in the meat of SEC play. Right. Yeah, I mean, just, I mean he just he's, he's a good option to have, but it seems like they want to add more here. So you, you've got a guy like, if you bring in a guy like Finley, yes, his numbers were not out of this world good, but he had like, he had an awesome game against South Carolina. Um, you know, uh, in his first career start, 
which is something that you know Auburn didn't wasn't able to pull off uh, against that same defense. Jeez. Uh, but you know, it, Finley, you would bring him in, and it's like, okay, you've been through the fire before, and you feel a little bit more secure and comfortable. And, and like he would have to come in and establish himself at something. And he, like he says, his quote, they feel like he can come in and compete. The guys are making it very clear that but he doesn't like, want to be But it's like what we just said about it's like what we said about Darius Knight and Tony Ferris. Like they're not just sitting back and saying, "Okay, we, we like what we got. We're going to take we'll our just chances build from with here." Bo. They're going to they're going to push these guys. And then secondly, and more importantly, I think to the big picture, Finley's got A multiple years, years of eligibility. Or excuse me, eligibility. Who who's your guy after? Who's your guy after uh, Knicks? Probably Demetrius Davis. Okay. Well, you've also or got you or you create Holden a competition Gar- for yourself right. between these three guys: Davis, um, Finley, and I can never say his last name, but yeah, I think it's Garner at least. So that's how it looks like it. Um, yeah, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. I, Demetrius Davis it was an awesome high school quarterback, one of the best in the country, especially one of the best ever in terms of his his accolades. But you don't want to get into a position where you're putting your it entire all in offense one guy. hinges on. His right. development and success. And so what do you do at the quarterback position in college football? We talked about this before. It happened at Alabama a ton and at a lot of schools. Georgia is a, is a great example of it, even though they probably picked the wrong one. Um, oh, my God. You, you stockpile at the position because you have to have it. You don't want to be you don't want to get caught not having multiple options at quarterback. Even like the the best case scenario for a team everywhere and what mostly happens is our our guy who wins the starting job is the starter and he remains a starter until he leaves. That's your best case scenario. But you don't want to run into a spot where okay, he got hurt or he fell off or whatever. Something happens, he leaves early, he decides, hey, I'm going somewhere else, especially with the way the transfer portal is. And it essentially sets you back like two seasons. Yeah, because that don't season be in is that shot and the next year and you're even though, fixing and, it. And even it's not like quarterback it's like quarterback and offensive line are really the only two positions on the field where you never really see that much of a rotation. Um everywhere else, running back, wide receiver, tight end, defensive line, linebacker, defensive back, maybe kicker and punter. Um are the other ones. It's like you don't move like you if you're the guy, you're the guy. And you're the guy until you go down. And that is one of those things where you just stockpile and say, okay, we have those options. And if a guy's like, all right, I don't want to do this anymore, I'll go somewhere else, Jalen Hurts, you'll go do that. But, I mean, Alabama had been doing that forever. Remember Cooper Bateman? <laughs> you know, remember remember some of those guys who – Blake Barnett? that won you know, a national title. Yeah, and like – Wait, Jake Coker is who I'm thinking of. And Jake Coker was a transfer as well. Because uh, he started his career out at Florida State, um, you have you you stockpile the position and know that guys are not going to stay here forever. But you can't be caught with just one guy because you could have Cam Newton at quarterback. But what happens if Cam Newton gets hurt? You can't be stuck. You cannot be stuck. Um, and it's a little different in the pros. Shout out to Neil Cottle. <laughs> it's a little different in the pros because sometimes, like, there's this uh, there's this uh, story. I think it was from um, I think it was from pre- pretty sure it's from Kevin Clark at the Ringer. But he was telling a story one time about um, Kansas City and about the quarterback position, and like they had Mahomes and they had their backups out there. And they were talking about, like, you know, hey, at practice time, like, why don't you ever – somebody asked the, you know, the coaching staff, like, hey, why don't you ever, you know, get reps with um, another quarterback? 
and, and I think it was Mahomes, but it might have been a story that was told from an older quarterback, like maybe Favre or something like that. And he pointed, the coach pointed to the quarterback, and he was like, um, and I'm going to clean up the language here a little bit. He's like, he pointed to the quarterback, and he said, if he's not out there, we're screwed. And guys, we don't practice screwed. And it's like in the NFL, it's different. If you're elite, if you're if you're superstar quarterback that you have to pay money to manage the salary cap and all that goes down, what can you do? You can go find somebody in free agency. You can go call like you can you can make an immediate impact, right? So if I'm paying my quarterback Aaron Rodgers or um, Patrick Mahomes money, I'm not going to invest a lot of money in my backups usually because. If something happens to them, I can go make a move. College, you can't do that. You run in with who you got. And so if your number one guy goes down, it's like, well, I hope you have a backup plan because there's no free agency in season in, in, in college football. There's no trades you can make in the middle of the season in college football. So all that to say, I think T.J. Finley is, is proof of that. I think T.J. Finley is like, we've got to be prepared for everything, and you've already got to start preparing yourself for a future after Finley. Yeah, I mean, he, I'm sorry, after Knicks. He, I mean, two birds, one stone. He pushes Knicks and then gives you that backup option. And as you say, I guess you could add a third dimension, which you've already done, and that's the long-term plan. You manufacture a competition between Davis, Finley, and another high schooler. And I think, and I think it's easy to see if you're a quarterback developer. You look at a dude like T.J. Finley and just see, oh, man. He's six six. He's two fifty. He's, he's young. He's uh, and we can turn him into the guy that we want. Like he has to look like this giant ball of clay. If you're a if you're a quarterback developer, which Auburn's got a couple of them in Brian Harson and Mike Bobo. Um, and yeah, more the pro style, more the the style that we've seen. And he all is exactly the, the person that I envision when I think about those two offenses. I'm, quarterback that's tall and strong and has a huge arm and actually can't move that well although it would be nice if he could but that's okay like if he is able to clean up some of the mistakes that Auburn was able to and look that LSU team just had a bad day in Jordan Hare Stadium this year but there's reason to think all right there's something there that could be productive I think there's when I think of him I don't think of someone that I go well that's a lock he's absolutely going to become a star but I look at that and go he could absolutely be a valuable college starter. And, and you know, I don't know if that's what Auburn fans want to hear right now because one of the things we've talked about on this show is that Auburn needs a difference maker at that position to make up for a lack mm-hmm. of its talent in some other areas. But we've also seen some players come in as three and four stars and in their careers in a very impressive place. I like the move for all the reasons you've listed. I hope that it happens. I hope he winds up on Auburn's team even if I don't expect him – to actually start this year, I don't think no. many people do. Um, but it's at least at least they're selling him on the fact of competition. That this spring, who who was competing with Bo? Demetrius Davis was brand new to, to football, and we've heard, we heard Mike Bobo say it. It's like basically what you do with these early enrollees that you give them spring practice, get them used to it, so that they can compete in the fall. So he was kind of a not really much of a factor in that. Grant Lloyd was Grant Lloyd was hurt for a stretch in spring and you know wasn't pushing him. Child Garnett, I mean, it no was dis- nice that the coaching staff didn't pretend. I think no disrespect, no disrespect to the kid, but there was a walk on who was get, who we mm-hmm. saw a lot more often than he did. I appreciate that the coaching staff didn't pretend like there was a battle because it's like, well, there isn't. Yeah. You know, and and I think maybe they wanted there to be one, but when there's that significant of a drop off, I think they're one. I think they're one and kick Nix's development in overdrive a little bit. It's like, hey man, you made some strides. Where we, 
seen improvement. We want to continue. And Bo's a self-motivated guy. He's always going to push himself. I mean, that's Davis that's, mentioned that right this off season. Yeah, you, you're going to push yourself. But then also on top of that, you know, you want to you want to really like say, all right, we're going to put some pressure on you. Here's a guy who's done this before as well, and you know, just know that you not you might not have the longest leash in the world. I mean, Brian Harson and Boise State, they used multiple quarterbacks from time to time, and there's injuries and different other things, but something to get – completely random, kind of. How tall do you think Matt Stafford is? Since you've asked the question, I'm going to assume he's like 6'5". See, that's what I thought, too. Because, like, when, when – so T.J. Finley, they go after T.J. Finley, and I'm sitting here thinking, like, oh, yeah, like, big guy, Bobo coach Matt Stafford, like, that's it. Matt Stafford's only 6'3", now, which is – I mean – Good size for uh, yeah. an NFL quarterback. Can you, yeah, can you use the word average? What Mahomes is six two, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's maybe a little bit on the taller end, but like not like he's not a you know he's Giants. not a skyscraper up there. But yeah, for some reason I always thought Matt Stafford was huge. But I think where I get that in is just he has one of the strongest arms I've ever seen. Uh, Mahomes is six three. Yeah, so I think yeah, probably mid mid tier kind of size. I had it in my head though that Matt Stafford was like six five six six. But no, he just throws the ball like he's six five or six six, and he's still doing it, you know, in his thirties, which is pretty wild. Stafford, like a gigantic light beer drinker, he to me has always seemed like a guy that's got a bit of a gut, you know, but just absolutely can, like you said, just slings it around the yard. He has never popped off to me as like this super fit guy, but he's always gotten the job done. And the thing is, like, it's hard to tell with Stafford. He's got all these incredible numbers. He's just been on these terrible teams. Yeah. Dude, dude, uh, and he's got the, the luscious hair. I mean, he, right to me, I think he, he yeah, screams did, Georgia quarterback in more oh, than yeah. one way. And he's he's originally from Georgia, kind of. He was born in Tampa, he's lived in Georgia a little bit, but he went to he he grew up in Texas, he's from Dallas, and in a very Tony part of Texas, right? Or, or Dallas, yeah, he's in, yeah, he's in Dallas. He went to Highland Park, all in, right, in Dallas. And you know, the Good big gig if you can get it, yeah, you, you know, the big story with him, right? It's the thing they always mention the wedding about thing about Stafford. Oh, well, no, that's a that that's an interesting one, but no, it's that uh, he was high school classmates with Clayton Kershaw. Oh, that's right, that's right. That's can you imagine? <laughs> but it's just like number one overall pick. One of the best pitchers of, of the of, of recent years. Both were in the same high school. I'm going to assume they they both played. Well, I'm, I'm at least going to assume Stafford played baseball too, but maybe they both played both sports. And if you were like on that team, like I was on a team, I was on a baseball or a football team with Kershaw and with Stafford would be a a good story, but also make you feel kind of small. <laughs> uh, here, here's a, this is from Wikipedia page, of Matt Stafford. I didn't realize this. Um, before he had even started a game at the collegiate level, Mel Kiper Jr. predicted that Stafford would eventually be the first pick in the NFL draft. He was right. He was right. Hmm, that's interesting. Also, Matt Stafford apparently ran a 4-7 in high school. <laughs> that is it seems getting, faster than I would have expected for somebody who I just accused of having a beer gut. <laughs> so he was, I mean, this was 2005. I don't think he's doing that now. Yeah, in two thousand five, in two thousand five, uh, he went fifteen and zero, uh, beat Ryan Mallett and Jevin Sneed in the, in the state playoffs Mallett. that year. The uh, the thing about Mallett that always cracks me up is like, there's that legend of him standing up and like I heard this from more than one person, and it's like I've never heard if this was a, a real thing, but that he stood up in an auditorium class and said, "Who's got a scantron for Mallett?" 
referring to himself in the third person and like that's one of those things that you like hear in middle school and it's uh-huh. like is that really true i don't know but i choose to believe it ryan mallet by the way was six six so he boy. was tj finley size what a great that auburn arkansas game speaking of games that were just yeah so wild. that was one i almost almost put because you know last year at the athletic like right at the beginning of the pandemic we did these things where we were like hey let's just Name a bunch of games you could watch on YouTube because we don't have sports to watch right now. Let's let's just name one. And that was one. That one always sticks out to me. And I remember it specifically. Um, and I've talked about this on the show before, but the, the, or, or in, the, in the past before. So I grew up, where I grew up, we were 45 minutes away from Troy. Um, one of my best friends in high school, his grandparents had, his grandfather had season tickets to Troy games. And so I went to a ton of Troy games when I was in middle school and high school, um, I, I said, until I started covering Auburn, I had been to way more Troy games than I had been to Auburn games in my lifetime because closer the expense. Yeah. Expense was a lot different. You know, I think that before the 2010 iron bowl, which was a gift uh, from, from one of my family. Talk members, about a great one. Oh to yeah. Go to. My God. Yeah. The best Auburn games I'd been to before that were like every time Auburn played Vanderbilt. Like, those were the games yeah, we could go to. Yeah, yeah, But I remember the Troy game. So, we were going to go to Troy. I can't remember who Troy was playing that night, but we were going to play. We were going to watch Troy play that game. And so, Auburn was playing. Uh, Troy was playing a night game. Auburn was playing the 230 game against Arkansas. And it's like, okay, we will watch this game, and then we will leave when the game's over, basically, and then go to Troy and, and be there in time for kickoff. We had – I remember the amount of scoring in that game that was being done. I remember having to leave like late third quarter and early fourth quarter and have to listen to the rest of the game on the radio because they were scoring so much that I was delaying having to get destroyed. 65-43 was that 2010 yep. final. Man. And, and it was 7-7 seven to seven at the end of the first. Yep. 14-20 uh, in the second. 14 and 10 in the third, and then Auburn with a whopping 28 points yep. to Arkansas's eight in the fourth. And I think this is still around the time where, you know, there was sort of a shifting tide of offenses mm-hmm. in the SEC, but we were not seeing these kinds of scores the way we do now in the league. And so it was sort of this wild thing that these two teams scored 100 points in regulation. What's the funniest stat from that game? Weren't there two? Was there a. A pick six for a touchdown, and also I know Etheridge returned a fumble. Those mm-hmm. probably are not what you're going with here, and I don't know if uh, Auburn scored 65 points in that game, right? Cam Newton threw the ball 14 times. Jeez, <laughs> did Bynes have an interception in that game, or am I thinking of the LSU game? Uh, yeah, Josh Bynes had two interceptions in that game. Didn't have a pick six, but he had two okay. interceptions. Um, Auburn scored in that game off of. Let's see. Cam had a rushing touchdown. Mario Fanta had a rushing touchdown. Well, Ontario rushing McCaleb touchdown had a rushing like... touchdown. Uh, Byron field goal, Byron field goal. Cam had another rushing touchdown. Cam had a <laughs> passing touchdown. Is only one of the game to Emory Blake. Um, Etheridge, Etheridge had a scoop and score for 47 yards. Uh, Cam ran for a touchdown, and Michael Dyer ran for a touchdown. Cam Newton, 10 of 14 for 140, an average of 10 yards a pass. Oh, ten, look at that. He carried the ball 25 times for 188 yards and three scores. Mario Fannin. Auburn in that game, 49 carries, 330 yards, six touchdowns. Mario. It's a heck of a game. In 2010, though, the, the game that I always go back to, and everybody will point out the the Iron Bowl for obvious reasons. It's the legendary game. Um, when you talk about dramatics – and like an actual really good front to back game you want to to watch 
Go watch that LSU game again. That game is fun. There's some really good defense in that game. There's some really good offense in that game. You get the camp. You get Cam Newton's. I think I say the second best play of his life when he just turned it on against Patrick. And some people may say that's the best. My thing to the best is him diving from the seven at South Carolina, where it's just like, okay, this is that was the moment where everybody was like, okay, this dude is different. This is a freak show. Jumping out twenty there. plus feet. Yeah, I think I would tend to because of the moment roll with the LSU play because Such it's, a good it's play. deeper in the season and what it took his ability to cut. He breaks and, so many tackles burn, in that play. Even Peterson, someone who I think we both regard as one of the better defensive backs in, in recent he, years. I mean, he squared up with with Adrian Peterson with. Patrick Peterson and just said, "I'm going to find an like Outran you can literally see him. him. You can literally see him hit the turbo button on on NCAA or Madden. Like you could literally see that burst." I think Gary Danielson goes accelerate. Yes, <laughs> that was uh, just really. Good. But then that game won, of course. Ontario McCaleb running down the sidelines on a buck sweep. Um, it's a really good game, really fun game. What's not a really fun game to rewatch is like the classic ones of the Tuberville era. Like there's some that are, but like. Everyone in your head, you think like, oh, the LSU game in 04 was one that just like it was ten to nine. There were three. There were three like the really. There were like three like really good plays in that game. Really memorable moments in that game. The fourth down conversion. You know, telling back of the end zone. Um, you know, the the wild call that got the extra point. LSU fans still reeling from that. Uh, you know, Auburn getting away with murder in the back in the in, in, in the uh, on the pass attempt at, late in the game, but do? it's like it's not a fun game. That was so like. Are you talking about defense. like the 07 pass interference that was picked up? Or are you still talking about the 04? That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's that, that one's was well. one where you go, wow, I'm glad that went in our that favor. Was 07. Not yeah, exactly sure if they got it right. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't the argument that it wasn't catchable because the ball was tipped, right? Just, just as an Auburn fan, you just go, okay. It was the proto version of when, like, Richard Sherman and the the Legion of Boom era, where they would, like, as soon as the ball went in the air, they just killed whoever they were covering away from the play because it's like, oh, it's not pass interference. It has nothing to do with what's going Mm -hmm. on. It's just a reminder that, buddy, I'm going to hit you even on plays. (laughs) And in this case, Auburn's like, I'm going to hit you as it does matter. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I always say, you know, and I wrote the story for it at The Athletic, but if y'all haven't gone back and rewatched the 09 West Virginia game, that is a blast and a half to watch. Very, very fun game. Um, Auburn's down 14 early. Mm-hmm. It's really the first big Chiswick game. I haven't checked I haven't checked in a year, but YouTube, you weren't you used to weren't weren't able to be able to watch the whole 04 Auburn at Tennessee. Junior Rosegreen's four interceptions. <laughs> Ronnie, Ronnie Brown, Ronnie Brown commi- committing atrocities, running the ball against people. I'm surprised at the goal. he let him back on the field. He murdered that man. <laughs> um, but you can't watch the full. There's there's something that you can't watch the four full. Four interceptions in one game. Yeah, and you can also watch the interception game all the way through. Oh yeah, the Auburn LSU game from the nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Justin Lee and I have been talking. We want to try to figure out legally. Or maybe not. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Try to find some way where we like watch old Auburn games this year and like put it on like Twitch or like you know YouTube video or something like that on it. Where we just have kind of like we kind of mystery science theater it, kind of like running commentary of it. Just watch old games on YouTube and talk about it and have people chime in. So look out for that. All right. Well, that we got off on several tangents that, that we weren't expecting, but that that's the beauty of doing this in person again, right? A trip down uh, nostalgia lane. Yeah. We did thing? it, yeah. And we, with, between the basketball ones and the football ones, there were, and then just talking about how tall Ryan, uh, Ryan Mallett and Matt Stafford are. So my short envy. 
Yeah, you're coming through again. (laughs) All right, that is going to do it, like I said, for this edition of the Auburn Observer Podcast. Uh, Long story short, Auburn fans, should they be worried about this? uh, You know, the conversation, Ferg, is Brian Harson just doing what he did at Boise, not going after elite prospects. What's the verdict early on? Very early on is they're trying to replace depth with guys that they the best guys they can get in the portal, um, you know guys that aren't going to be around for a, a lot of time. And ultimately, I think you know jury's out on you know what the recruiting is going to look like in 2022, 2023, and moving forward. I don't think you'll see the full effects of that till we get deeper into the into the time. But I think a little bit of patience. Um, is kind of necessary here. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't guys. try to judge Harson and his recruiting efforts too much on a handful. We of, still have not hit like we're still two weeks away from the dead period ending. Like this is that's when things are going to really yeah, kick in. When it comes to the twenty twenty two kids and the high schoolers and who they can pick try up, try not there. to grade the staff too much on some transfers. Well, like I said, but like I said, season. I think the best way the best way to help out your recruiting is to win games, and them going after these these instant impact type of transfers in the portal to help uh, help bolster this roster out I think is a sign that they are going to want to kind of make a statement early on that that isn't going to be a feeling out process they're going to go ahead and try to you know try to raise that ceiling uh, immediately um auburnobserver.com check it out uh we have the extra podcast in the midweek uh the midweek episodes Coming up, we are going to try to have a few more interviews and guest podcasts here. In we're the not coming just going to try, ladies and gentlemen. Coming weeks and months. Um, we're going to have his nemesis on at some point. Hopefully. Very soon. No, that's fair. Very, very soon. We'll, I guess we'll, I'm, I'm committing someone who has not yet committed. <laughs> have you reached out to her yet? I have not. I have not. Yeah, we need to do that. Um, Monday at the Observer, we will have a uh, our scouting report kind of breakdown like the one we did on Tony Ferry and what we've done on um all of the all of the basketball transfers we'll have one on by darius knight and we will keep you up to date on what's going on with um the donovan kaufman uh search we will talk about that in the midweek podcast as well the recruitment there still ongoing for him and what else painter read that mailbag it was a fun mailbag if you're in the inner circle i will punish you if you do not read it We'll have some stuff next week, including some basketball stuff. Have some fun with that. So another another off-season week coming up. We appreciate you guys subscribing. We're continuing to pick up subscribers. People are giving gift subscriptions, which is always awesome to see. Thank you guys for supporting. I know it's not the most exciting time of the year to be reading and listening to Auburn content. But for those of you who are doing it, we appreciate you so much. And for those of you who listen, who just listen to the uh, to the weekend podcast, we appreciate you guys as well. Uh, help us out by rating, reviewing and subscribe help us climb those charts help us climb those charts all right that'll do it for uh this podcast painter final thoughts make me the number one solo artist on the auburn podcasting beat i'm not solo